All right, if you have a bulletin, if you have a bulletin on the back or some notes, if you want to follow along, not necessary. Last week, um, last week we were talking about the fifth. We were talking about the values, the core values that are kingdom, the kingdom world that we've chosen to live in. We'll let them settle. <laughs> we're almost there. The, these core values that that we've held as being central, uh, central informers, central indicators of, of where our lives revolve, what it is that we want to be as a church, what gives the most accurate portrayal of a living relationship with a God who not only created us, but then went to the trouble of redeeming us, all that 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 implied for him, all that implies for us, that this somehow this relationship is working. That this God that we claim that we have connection with is in fact in our lives, that he's not just a stick on or sort of a go-to when things get extra deep and we have a God who's listening and watching, sort of a grandfatherly type that, that doesn't get too involved. He just loves his children from a distance and, and just everything we do he thinks is cute. How many of you know that picture of God does not last very long? It doesn't work very long. What we've been talking about is, is how this relationship gets expressed in in daily living authentic ways. And the last, the last one we dealt with last week was authentic or, excuse me, compassionate ministry. Was what does it look like in what is compassionate ministry? Check, check it out online if you didn't, um, if you were not here. It's easier to get to those things through our Facebook than it is right now through our to our uh, website. Our website, for some reason, is really acting up. Okay, updated tomorrow, but you can still do it through your face, like Facebook. Thank you. I, I, I just want to ask some questions here as we start, because I want to I want to play off of last week's a little bit. I made a I made a comment. Uh, this is out of last week's notes. I'm just going to read it to you here before I get started. And it was it was a place where I said, "Kingdom compassion begins." by desiring to see each person's talent, potential, and dignity realized. In other words, this is when I begin to function in compassionate ministry, when I start looking at others in terms of the potential of what God had planned for them, of what, of what God imagines them to be, and not what they've done to me or what they can produce or what they can, what they can benefit, do to benefit me, but rather I see them. That's why Jesus was able to say, um, love your enemies, because you had to look through the eyes of expectation. You had to look through the eyes of potential. You can't love your enemy unless you're looking at them through the same eyes that Jesus looks at them. And so you look at them in terms of their potential. And then it said, I, I, this was a, a, sub, um, a subheading A, it says exhibiting the courage, passion, and commitment that's needed to unlock human possibility in Christ. That's, that's our role. And then I said this part, and this is, where I'm, this is where I'm coming to. Channeling the resulting health 
and newfound life into productive discipleship. Compassionate ministry is when we begin not only finding that life, but then as we've brought it in, we begin to encourage that life into productive discipleship. Now, what if the body of Christ, what if the body of Christ came to an agreement in our faith that was coupled with a deep and practical knowledge of the Son of God? What if the body of Christ would grow up maturing to the point that we accurately reflect the character, the strength, and the authoritative standing of Jesus himself? What would happen if the body of Christ were no longer satisfied to remain like children in our thinking and in our methods? What would happen if the body of Christ was no longer subject to the changing appetites and trends of the current religious landscape, some of them good, some of them not so good, and that we would become sophisticated enough in our biblical understanding and practices so that we would no longer be fooled by anyone's cleverly assembled doctrines, no matter how logical or popular they seemed. How many of you think maybe the body of Christ is subject to some of this? Do we, in fact, follow trends? Maybe it'd be best if I didn't talk about that this morning. What if the body of Christ was able to speak honestly and openly with one another, but only motivated by love? What if the body of Christ would only get her marching orders from the king and, would n and no longer uh, speculating and improvising out of our own ignorance or our own insecurities? What if the body of Christ was so well connected and working with the whole church that we would be effectively jointed with all other parts, each one doing their assigned job, making everyone's job easier and more effective? How many of you would see anything in that? There was a lot in that, and you don't have a copy of that. But all I've done here is I've rewritten a portion of Scripture from Ephesians 4. Because this is what Paul said disciples were supposed to be. This is what Paul said compassionate ministry should ultimately lead to. That all of those things that I just read would be reflected in the lives that we live as a church, as a people, as well as being reflected in our lives individually. In other words, there there's something in God's plan, in compassionate ministry, this thing that loves people beyond what we think they might deserve to be loved. We don't, how many of you are thankful we don't get to qualify who the people are who get to hear the message? Are you thankful that Jesus died in order that none should perish, that all might be saved? That's, that's what he's always wanted. But it wasn't just to populate heaven. He also had a desire to populate the earth with people who were accurately representing him, to whom others could look and have a window into what it means to be forgiven, 
and have a window into seeing what it means to have relationship with God and have a window in order to look into to what it means to to have vital relationship with other people who are strengthening us rather than diminishing us as a people. He, he's had this plan all along. He has meant for every one of us to grow into something bigger no matter where he found us. Right? Where did he find you? You could, this is, this is yell at pastor time, Tom time. We're, we're a little smaller in numbers. You can yell at me this morning with no confusion. What, what, where did he find you? Now don't Give me your whole testimony. This is a one-liner, okay? Where did he find you? In San Francisco. In, <laughs> enough said, Maria. Enough said. <laughs> In San Francisco. Where did he find you? Denver, Colorado. Denver, Colorado. What was the state of your life when he found you? It was a mess. I know we know Dave's story. Where did he find you? Trader Joe's. Is it, well, yeah, we've heard your story too. Trader Joe's. Where did he find you? Where? At your mother's feet. Happy Mother's Day. That's what moms are really for right there. I heard somebody else starting to yell over here. Very complacent. Isn't it amazing? He found us. But, you know, here's... It, as important as that part of your story is where he found you has little to do where he wants to take you you got that don't don't attach yourself there so much it's part of my story I'm 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 like you I, I learned Jesus at my mother's feet my father's feet they lived it in front of me they lived it behind closed doors I had a very accurate picture of a God that loved me. I also had an accurate picture of a God who corrected me, but that's a different sermon. <laughs> See, he has no intention of leaving me where he found me because he has something else in mind for me. And that's where we want to go for just a moment. What compassionate ministry looks like. I want to read these scriptures from Ephesians 4. We aren't even into the notes yet. That doesn't bode well, does it? To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore, he says, now he's quoting here from uh, Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he's actually misquoting from Psalm 68. It's kind of interesting, but... It's a great sermon. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. And I'm going to skip then the next two verses to 11. And he himself gave. What did we say in the last verse? He gave what? Gifts to men. And then there's a parenthesis where Paul builds. He, he actually misquotes Psalm 68, and he doesn't quote the whole verse. But if you go read, I think it's verse 18. Um, but go read it sometime and then compare the two. You see, what Paul's doing in the parentheses is telling people why he's misquoting it. He's not misusing it. He's just taking it in another direction. But I want to I keep moving here. He said, it says he gave gifts to men. And then he says, and he gave, he himself gave. Okay, so we're going we're to find out about the gifts. 
He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Now, in this day and age, there's a lot of people who start right, stop right there. I listened to part of a sermon this week on, um, on the Internet. It's amazing what you can find on the Internet. And basically, it was, it was preaching these... I found this sermon because it was preaching out of the Scripture. But what the guy was saying was that... He says, gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And what he said was that we no longer need apostles, we no longer need prophets. That job was over, but we still need evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, here's what I want to say to you. It doesn't say that. That's an interpretation. That's a lack of experience. It says, I've not seen an apostle, I've not seen a prophet, therefore they must not be around. Now, there are also those who have looked at these five. You've heard, probably heard talk about the five-fold ministry. I want, you to, I want to tell you right now, there are a lot other, of other people listed in other places in the Scripture. There's more than just five. Because that is not the point that you're an apostle or a prophet or pastor. I go by one of those titles. I'm honored to go by one of those titles. But I have to understand that what, what Paul is trying to tell the people in Ephesus is, it's not the gift that I get to be a pastor, it's that God gifted you and gave you a pastor. You hear me? What he was saying was all these different people that have come through your life have been for a purpose and the purpose is to start building you into the body of Christ, to start building you in to the, in, into the form and into the place that you can start taking your place, the thing God imagined you to be in the beginning and he does that by putting people in your life. This is why you can't tell me that not attending church is, is, just, is just as significant as attending church that you could be a believer without without being a part of a, of a local body and being connected and that it's okay that I ignore that and I can ignore it for large chunks of time this is why it's wrong because when you're not there those people who have been assigned to your life are not playing their role and you are not growing into the person that God intended you to be that's what this verse is about let me finish it all right, let me read 11 again. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints of the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now here's where the, all those, those statements I read at the beginning, this is where I got them, I just reworked them. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Does it sound like we need each other? Because this stuff goes on. But speaking in truth, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. I love, I love Paul's language here. He picks out joints. What do I get to do? What are you doing right now that I don't get to do and your joints are helping you? You're sitting. I'm standing. I'm, I'm talking to Jesus about that when I get to heaven. 
I just, I don't know. Not right. Joints help us do all kinds of things. Joints help us move. They, they make this body work. The head sends a message and says, go from here to there. Pick this book up. I'm giving these messages and my body cooperates and it's the joints. Paul picks that as saying these, these things working together get us to go somewhere that we wouldn't have gone by ourselves. I remember a little guy um, when John and uh, Cindy Snyder were in Ecuador and we went to visit them and we got to know this little guy that was there in the orphanage where uh, they were working. And um, he, his, his joints were locked. There's nothing they could do about it uh, sur surgically. He ended up being adopted and came to the U.S. Um, but his, his arms were stiff and his legs were stiff. And he had the sweetest nature, sweetest little kid. But that poor guy moving around in just kind of the herky-jerky way that he had to get through life was very difficult. What Paul is talking about is having the freedom of movement that gets me from here to there. I am not the same. I'm not in the same place I was. The joints, these things that work together, if the body of Christ is functioning properly, we're joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I can't spend any, a whole lot of time, obviously. But I want you to look. We're in this. We're in your notes. We're actually there. Um, see, here's God's idea of compassionate ministry. He gave gifts to men out of this vast treasury. And these gifts often get mis misunderstood. God gives gifts to men. One, sometimes those gifts are people. I was praying with a young ministry couple here not long ago, um, another church, and they were just kind of unburdening. I don't know, something about gray hair makes people want, you know, wants these younger people, they think you know something. And so let me, let me show you, some of your older folks, let me show you some of my best moves right here. Huh. Okay, all you gray heads, try it. Huh. Yeah. See, it works. They, uh, they think you're listening. See? Actually, I was listening. They're talking to me. And, and, and the, the wife uh, was saying, you know, I don't, I don't know what my, my gifting is. I don't know who I am. And I, I, want, I want some gifts that I could give to the body of Christ. And what I was trying to explain to her, I said, you misunderstand. It's not about the gifts you get. It's about the gift you are. You see? This, this is where I, why this works. There's been a misconception about all this. So I get to be the apostle, I get to be the prophet, I get to be the pastor, I get to be evangelist. There are a whole lot of people standing in line to be pastors. Um, but the rest of the stuff sounds cool. See, and, and you miss the point. The only reason these people are here is because if God's called you into one of these roles, it's because he's about to gift you to somebody. You become the present. And if you're functioning and if you're healthy, and, and you're, you've got a means of giving life, then those people to whom God has given you, those people are going to begin to grow into something that's, that has the capacity of shaking the world.
You're the gift. Now this isn't just those titles. See, those titles, you know, forget the titles for a moment. I, and, I, and I'm not downplaying their, that those people are around that, that have those roles. But I have a feeling that anybody that begins to mature and grow up has at least a piece of some of this somewhere in them. You get to pastor. You get to teach. You get to evangelize. You get to do the role of the, of the prophetic or, the, or of the apostle. There's something in you that functions under the covering of the church, under the healthiness of the church, that begins to give life because you become the gift it's not about what gifts you have I have the gift of healing I have the gift of prophecy I have the gift wonderful now what what's it for who's it for where's the life going to go that's going to make somebody's life better see sometimes those gifts are people it isn't the gift that the person possesses that's so important it is the fact that the person himself or herself is the gift how many of you ever think of yourself as a gift? April, you're a gift. That, that child there in your arms, you're a gift. I know that story. And you were there. You're a gift. We all got this, these places that we find ourselves. When God gets control, you become the gift. Let me just read something. This was in my, this is a, a wonderful book. If you want a wonderful book, it's called The Outward Focused Life by Dave Workman. And I, sometimes I just use it as a devotional as I happened to this morning. And I thought, this is good. I probably won't get my message preached, but this is good. It says, astronomers are still trying to wrap their cerebrums around the concept of a black hole. A black hole is formed when a massive star burns out all its nuclear fuel, gravity takes over, and the star e essentially collapses in on itself, kind of like Elvis. <laughs> it is thought that a massive star 10 to 20 miles larger than our sun can actually compress into something smaller than a pinpoint with a gravitational pull so strong that not even light can escape. An invisible, light-bending powerhouse of compressed gravity, a cosmic Hoover vacuum that sucks in space itself. Let me give you an emotional and spiritual black hole. We're worth something when we're performing well and others approve of us. This is a black hole on two counts. Our value is based on our performance and others' opinions of us, and that we will bend the truth and suck in the light. Here's a biblical view. We're worth something when we know what God, um, excuse me, we're worth something when we know what God really thinks of us and how he values us. What we think about God is not nearly as important as finding out what he thinks about us. And once we find that out, it makes sense that we should make ourselves accountable to him for applying that truth to our lives on a regular basis. That's what I'm talking about this morning. In other words, we are valuable because God values us. As a matter of fact, we are of, such, of so much value to God, even when we were neck deep in self-serving, inward-focused sin, that he gave his son for us. The Phillips translation of Romans 5.8 says, The proof of God's amazing love is this, that it was while we were sinners that Christ died for us. Did you catch that? God placed an inestimable value on us before we were even regenerated. The truth is that God loves us apart from what we've done, who we are, and what we will ever do. Once we get that, we're on our way to understanding grace. Once we 
Oops, read that. And grace is the one distinction Christianity has from every other world religion. Our value isn't based on what we do or what others think of us, but only on God's love for us. And that's why we are so free to be the lowest rung on the social ladder, servants. That's what this whole thing is about. I'm going to move through this quickly. In order to get the job done, God saw that his followers were going to have to be outfitted and that we would have to come, and it would have to come from him. All right? Three, God's list is not necessarily a gifted group that is connected to their gifts, and I've said this already. It's not necessarily a gifted group, but it is people who are the gifts. All right? These people, um, these people who are going to make a contribution, that is, they have power. Uh, how many of you know that power and gifts without a contribution is a real waste? Do you understand that your gifting without you using it to make a contribution is, is actually anti-Christ? Maybe that's kind of strong, but he didn't give you anything to amuse you or to give you a, a title or, or give you some... Whatever he gave you was meant to be contributed. Let me go on. They're not just, these, the ones who are helping and, and are ministering, they're our gifts, they're not just making rules. Um, how, how does, it, does everyone know that making rules and expecting them to be followed for their own sake is really kind of a waste of time? That's how a lot of people parent. A lot of people at the heads of corporations, that's what they do. They just make rules, expect you to follow without a, a why or a connection or whatever. See, it's not, it's not this. This is the personal connection that God intends. It's why those five people that, that he listed there, this list, not a complete list, but he says these are people who are going to be making contributions to your life because your lives need to be contributed to. They're not just going to set rules and a standard that there's a portion of this that, that looks like that, but we really are going to be moving into your lives. Um, Jesus said at one point, in, uh, again from Luke 6, I think I quoted from Luke 6 last week, in, in the Sermon on the Plain, he, he, he spoke this parable. He said, can the blind lead the blind? He said, when, will they not both fall into a ditch? Then he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. See, there's a point where we, we want you to go. See, these gifts are to equip the saints. Right. Um, the Greek word here, equip, is to prepare fully, to arm, to furnish to supply, to train. So my gift to you as a pastor has somewhere in it hopefully some of this stuff. If I am not preparing you for the world in which you live. Sometimes I think some of you live a lot rougher lives than I do. I, does everyone understand that I, I work here? You know that. I, I mean, I come through those doors and we handle plenty, but you don't. Like you get up in the morning and you go to work somewhere, most of you. And, and all of you work in places that have really pleasant supervisors. And you work with people who understand you, 
who are wanting you to move forward and they're pushing, they're standing behind you and they're constantly saying, I'm for you, man. I've got your back. And those that are under you for whom you are responsible are quick to respond because they so appreciate your godly leadership. No, it doesn't work like that, does it? Maria, she's, you know, she's from San Francisco. She works with the airline with grumpy and getting grumpier um, by the day. See, we we work to create some. We we try to arm you. It's it's our job to try to furnish, give give you what you need to supply, to train. Because you're the ones who go out and face the world. You basically go out and pastor, do the prophetic. You have to be the prophetic standard for people who don't get you or what you do. You become the gift. You leave. I get to be the gift to you. You go out. You get to be the gift someplace else. And sometimes I think you've got the harder job. See, um, the the word the Greek word also implies. This is another real interesting that it's got it's got a little coloring. It's not just the equipping and arming and furnishing. It also implies this that it's, there's a mending that goes on. It's like a net that's been torn. That there's restoration, that there's shaping, and that there's fitting. You see, the gift that comes to you should be doing these things for you. Somewhere, restoring you, putting you back, fitting you. There's motion here, there's life here. Um, it's, it's the rebuilding and the reordering of a life. It also indicates a close relationship between character and destiny for the work of a life. Um, this is one I'd like to spend some time on, but we, we can't. There's a connection. It, there's, this word has an interesting hint in it that it's this rebuilding, that, like a net, this mending, is actually what it's mending is your character. And it's mending your character so that you can see your destiny. Everybody understand that? It's building you into the person that God imagines you to be. It's putting you in a place where, where you could be corrected. I, I have a clip to show you, and I, this has got a mother in it. I had to look a little while, but this is kind of a tough clip. Um, but it's from the movie Ray. How many of you saw Ray? Ray Charles. There's no better version of America in the world than the one Ray Charles sings. Just saying. Um, but in this, Ray, Ray has contracted a disease and he's going to be blind for life. And they're, they're living a poor existence and his mom can't do much, but, but she's been told, you better let that boy learn it because this is what he's going to have and you aren't always going to be there to do everything for him. And so this is that moment in time. And this is what we're talking about, not, not only just moms, but this is what we're talking about in the role of the gifts. Sometimes the gifts demand that you do a hard thing to bring people to places of recognition and reality. See, in order for you to become what God imagines you to be, then you're going to have to stop being what you imagine yourself to be. And there's a huge change. Why don't we show that clip? Mama! Mama! Mama, help! Mama! 
I hear you too, Mama. You're right there. <laughs> yes, I am. Getting people to the place where they really need to be requires that God gives gifts to men. Can't do it on your own. Because on our own we are too self-serving. We're too self-indulgent. We are not motivated to grow up. One of the things that's been kind of sweet about getting older, <clears throat> I, I know some of you are surprised um, to discover I'm getting older, but I am. And one of the nice things, we had a conversation about this this morning, is I don't have a whole lot left to prove. I've got, I've got a pretty good idea of what I can do, and I have as much an idea of what I can't do, what I'll never do. And, and it's all right. It's all right because in the body of Christ, what I can't do for you, if all of this is in place, these people are in my life, somebody else is going to fill the gap. And you're going to be the same for somebody else. See, people be like, like little Ray, constantly help me, help me, help me. If you're in that position and you've been a believer for 15 years, then we have not done our job. At this point in time, it means somebody did not step in and, and, or step back and say, you're going to have to figure this one out because what you're living in right now is really not the way God imagines you to be. And I really love you too much to just let you stay there, to help you be there. Now, when they're babies, that's one thing. But when you've grown up, that's another. These gifts are to equip 
the saints. The equipping is the work of the ministry. We're back on our notes. We'll finish here. The gifts are to prepare the saints to go to work. It is only... Um, these are my notes to myself. It says, you aren't a real disciple if you aren't doing the work of the ministry. That's what it's saying. It is only about what you know insofar as it affects your engagement in the work of the ministry. Piling stuff up doesn't help. Just, I know it all. It's, you know, it's, I've got it all there. And, and I can prove it to you. No, it's about the contribution you begin to make with what's piling up. I, I hope, you know, that my next years are, are more fruitful than anything else I've ever done in my life. That, that there will be those who say that you were a gift to me, Pastor. You helped me understand. You helped me grow up. Better than that, you helped me become the one that God imagined me to be. I didn't even see it myself. But what would be even better than that to, for me as pastor is when I see you turn around and start doing that for somebody else. There's a lot of people obviously that aren't here. People that you will rub elbows with, people that you'll see, people that you live next door to, people that, you know, they're in your life. And, and you get to be these things, maybe in some miniature form, but you get to be these things for them. See, the work is service, and it's driven by compassion. That's our next one. The work is service. That's what, that's what this Dave Workman said this morning, that this thing about God loving me, the blessing about it isn't just setting and stewing, soaking it in. But the blessing is I get to be a servant in the midst of this. Let's read this last statement and then we'll, we'll close this up with worship. Have you noticed this morning is the official wearing of the Hawaiian shirt? Did you catch that? I haven't, I know, it's finally here. I didn't feel, I haven't felt confident enough to do it. These are um, palm trees, thank you. Good eyes. These are palm trees across here. This is my Hawaiian shirt. It signals a change in the air. Everybody got that? So we're, we're moving forward. But there's, but there's more than my shirt that's in the air. See, it's the followers of Jesus who, who will generate the agreement, the growth, the fruitfulness, the maturity, the honesty, the love, the obedience, and the forward momentum. That's the work of the kingdom that's done in compassion. Nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else is going to work. If we're talking about doing compassionate ministry, then we need to take it the next step forward. This portion of Scripture is Paul trying to explain what it looks like to be a disciple. It's a process, and the process never ends. And I am in the process with you. And the blessing is that you will get to be in the process with someone else. This isn't about what gifts you have. This is about what, gifts, what gift you become. What gift you become to someone else. Let's stand. God's just pulling us.
the title of this book suggests the outward focused life being able to see beyond my own need getting my need taken care of your needs are significant they're important they're often the way that we find our way to Jesus but don't believe for a moment that that's all that this is about if we've if we've only communicated that it's about us seeing your needs met then we've only told you the front end of the story there's a back end where God begins to pull you into something much bigger than you ever imagined begins to change you begins to create a new life a new source in you and that is all about what you start becoming for someone else let's worship and as we worship let's just turn our hearts in that servant attitude it's Mother's Day it's pretty easy to talk about servants take our lead but let's turn our heart and say God where can I serve where can I be who can I be for someone else let's worship you know, some weeks ago I, I told you about um, there was a uh, the One Cry event that was here in town, pastors and leaders from over 60 churches here in Reno gathered for the day. One of the presenters told a story about being, he was being asked by a younger, uh, a younger pastor, a younger minister, what had changed in his life over those many years, you know. And he said, well, he said in the beginning everything was was kind of typified by thou shalt not. He spent, said, I spent all my younger years just trying to figure out what I wasn't supposed to touch, what I wasn't supposed to do, trying to get God to come, you know. He says, but then as I grew up and matured a bit, he said, it changed from thou shalt not to, to thou shalt. And I started discovering what my liberties were in Christ and what, where I could go and what I could do. Not just what I couldn't do, but what I could do. And he says, and it, what, a, what a liberty it brought to me and to my ministry. He said, but now it's gone from being thou shalt not and thou shalt to just being thou. He said, I don't have to know any more than that. See, that's the motion of moving people from here to there in a place that thou shalt not to getting them to understand thou shalt and then finally understanding that it's just about him it's thou we help people grow up as we were standing here I was thinking about a woman years this is years ago I was a woman had been in our church had moved away and had come back and just for a visit and she asked for prayer asked me if I would pray for her she had an ailment that was going on in her body and she knew we prayed that God did things and so I started to pray for her and and as I just reached to put my hand on her shoulder I had it was like almost like a voice in my ear I didn't hear I wasn't hearing voices but I don't know how it could have been any louder in my spirit it said don't touch her and I kind of backed up and she's standing there with her eyes closed expectantly. And I thought, boy, what was that? Was that just my imagination or what was going on? So I started to pray again and it came back. The impression was just as strong, don't touch her. And so I finally said to her, I said, I, I'm sorry. I said, 
I don't think I can pray for you. I don't know what that's about. I, I said, I just feel like I'm not supposed to pray. And she started to cry. And I'm going, oh man, I've done it now. And then she starts telling me the story. How she would, had walked away from the Lord and she'd been away and she was living with a guy. She had driven all that way up here because she knew that we didn't know any of this and we would pray for her. And there'd be no accountability, but she could still get well. That was what was in her. But as she's standing there, the confession is beginning to come and she's beginning to clean her house. And she's starting to say, and it's pretty easy at that point of saying, okay, so what do we get to do next? What do you have to do when you go home? What do we, you know, and then we can pray for you. As she's confessed. Does everyone understand that was a gift to her? It could, she could have just slipped in under the wire, prayed for her, gone home, maybe felt better, maybe not. But God had a bigger plan for her and saw her, imagined her as someone different than what she currently was living. And the Holy Spirit just caught her up short and held her responsible. Does everyone understand that was a gift? It was a gift to me too. It was a gift to me too of saying, buddy, it's not all full steam ahead all the time. Sometimes you've got to stop and be involved in someone's life long enough to say, you know what, this needs changing. That's what Paul was talking about. We need to grow up into that mature person that really represents who he is. And not just imagine that's who we are because we've hung our shingle out. We need to be those people. God calls me to it, he calls you. But this time when we talk about that, could you imagine yourself as being the gift? The gift that somebody give, that God gives to somebody else in order to start seeing them being pulled in maturity. It'll work better that way. Can we just sing the chorus on that one more time? If you need prayer, need ministry, if you're here and you've never made that connection with this Jesus we're talking about this morning, going, what in the world? And this, hopefully this didn't just go flying over your head, but we want to talk to you if you don't know him. But let's worship one, just that chorus, bless the Lord, oh my soul, thank you. It's his life. You gave it to him. He paid for it. He gets to live it however he wants to.
Lord, we do worship your holy name. Lord, help us to become mature enough and representative enough of the kingdom to help someone else along. Lord, you made it about me at the cross. But Lord, when you gifted me, called me, put me in place, Lord, it really started being about somebody else that you died for then. Lord, it started being pointed outward. God, we just, we want to be an outwardly focused people. Drawing others along, Lord, maturing them, doing sometimes even the hard thing when our instinct wants to just jump in and make it okay. Help us, Lord, instead to become those that help people grow up and become useful in their own place. God, we just thank you for the morning, for the worship, being in your presence. Lord, bless our moms among us, those that can't be with their kids, kids who can't be with their mothers. Lord, those who, who father, don't, their moms are gone. And Lord, there's blessing in this day for this very unique role, Lord, that you designed from the beginning of time to nurture and to strengthen and to protect and to be so many things, Lord, that the world desperately needed. We thank you for our mothers. Bless them in this day, Lord, we pray. And bless the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.